Hey, video game fans, I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Push Dustin. And this is a memory card bonus episode. Bonus! <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> because of our lovely uh, patrons who have supported us through this last season and uh, for the last two years, actually, uh, we're going to try and put out some more bonus episodes this coming uh, late spring and summer. And we thought, because there is a new series, well, a new old series coming to the Switch uh, this, this very day, that we would do a quick episode mm. on that series. So thank you, patrons, uh, for all your support and everything that you do. Uh, this one's for you guys. For you. For you. Just for you. So if you are unaware, the series that I'm talking about is the Famicom Detective Club games, which you might know came to the Famicom way back in the day. And uh, they are coming to the Switch eShop, at least here in North America, as two separate games, uh, The Missing Air and The Girl Who Stands Behind, mm. which uh, sounds very spooky. And, uh, you know, it just seems like a series that a, not a lot of people knew about or know of, mm -hmm. um, at least the, you know, the full extent of the background. So I thought we'd kind of uh, dive in there, although I want to just put it out there right now. We're not going to spoil any of the plot <laughs> of the games because, like, that would just be the rudest thing. Yeah. There's a mystery. Go solve it yourself. <laughs> That's right. It was the dog. The dog did it with the revolver in the kitchen. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> see, now I'm not sure. You'll have to play the game and find out. <laughs> uh, wh what's your background with these games, Bush? Did you uh, know anything about them before the um, the re-releases were announced? I mean, uh, I've definitely heard about them. Um, I think I actually own them but unfortunately i haven't played it <laughs> um so i, I have a, a lot of famicon uh this system games because um there was this uh used game store that i used to go to a lot and uh, the guy knew that i was interested in retro gaming and one day he just opened up this briefcase containing um 80 d different famicon this system games what and was just like do, do you want this and i was like <laughs> yeah i'll take that <laughs> so, and that's why push is horribly in debt to this day <laughs> still paying it off he's still but, paying it off so uh actually um all the the disc system games i have are from the nintendo power download service oh they're not the official official retail but the the ones that you would download at the convenience store the famicom tante is probably in that lot long long time ago for source gaming i meant to go through it and like stream like one a week or so and just like try it out mm -hmm. but life got in the way things got busy i got married i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> hey can i ask because uh i've heard this different ways do people in japan say famicom or famicon famicon with an n like with an n sound yeah it has an n at the end well, I mean, but it doesn't. It has an M at the end, like written out. In Katakana, it has a N. An N, okay. Because I've heard people from Japan say it with Famicom, but that doesn't line up with family computer. Like I said, in Katakana, it's it's like F A M I K O N. Now I'm kind of down at myself. Um, but I, I, <laughs> well, no, that's not, I'm not saying you're the person who says yeah. it, but you you tend to put an N on the end of it, 
and I've heard other people from Japan do it that okay, same okay. way. So I was like, am I am I saying it wrong, or is it technically like it's probably okay to say it either way? Yeah, I, I think like um, it's okay to say it either way because um, you know, family computer is the where it came from, but they don't really have that M at the end um, mm -hmm. for Japanese. Like with not because like if it's an M, it needs to have a vowel. Oh, true. So if it's an N, it could be by itself. Okay. So I think that's why they probably went with the N in Japanese. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 always interesting to see how uh, English words and Japanese words like differ, you know, depending on where you are. So mm -hmm. anyway, the uh, Famicom or Famicom disc system uh, was released in 1986, mm -hmm. and that's uh, where both these games come from. As you said, um, it was just kind of like an add-on that let the uh, Famicom play new types of games that were on discs mm -hmm. um even though they weren't you know they were kind of like a floppy disc setup uh they're they're like yellow right yeah they're yellow um they're also cheaper to produce mm. um and like people could write their own games as i mentioned earlier uh so there's a lot of different uses for them and yeah it had more ram than the normal famicon right so like you could uh have higher quality music and um graphics even uh graphics a little bit but mostly music was enhanced so it's kind of like a win overall cheaper but you could do more with it yeah so that was uh 1986 like i said and uh the first famicom detective game came out in april of 1988 and then that was just half of the first mystery the second half of the first mystery the missing air came out later that year and then i came out at the end of 1988 a very important release, at least in, <laughs> yes. in my household. Actually, uh, I was born in 1988 as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. See, it was a good year. Yeah. So the main guy involved with the Famicom Detective series um, was Yoshio Sakamoto, who had already worked on Metroid and Kid Icarus. Um, but this was like kind of a big step for him because it involved more of writing. Like, you know, he had to actually like figure out the the whole entire like setup of the, the game and how it was all going to go down. And he would go on to work on, you know, obviously like more Metroid games, uh, Rhythm Heaven and uh, your favorite WarioWare. Yes. <laughs> Wah. Wah. And um, another big wig on the uh, series was uh, Gunpei Yokoi, mm -hmm. who we've talked about many, many times in the past, uh, you know, invented the Game Boy and the Virtual Boy and like a million other important things. Yokoi came to Sakamoto and said, like, hey, I want you to develop this uh, series that was going to be called the Famicom Youth Detective Group, which sounds fun. It sounds like the, like, Nick Jr., like, spinoff of this series. <laughs> it's like little kids. Yeah. Like, oh, he stole my cookies. <laughs> and that kind of, like, led to, you know, what would eventually become the Famicom Detective uh, Club. But I guess yokoi didn't actually give him like anything to go off of except for a title <laughs> he was just like hey mm -hmm. we want a mystery series like here here's my best idea go run with it and the big influence for the series was uh, a game that uh, honestly i'd never heard of but the more i look into it the uh, more influential it seems and that is the portopia serial murder case it came out in 1983 it was kind of like a text-based adventure game. You know, obviously you're solving like a horrible crime. And uh, it came originally to PC, was eventually ported to the uh, Famicom. And uh, I guess now it's on some like mobile phones and stuff like that. Have you ever heard of this one? I, I've heard of it only in relationship to the Famicom Tante. Yeah. 
So, yeah. I mean, it kind of had a lot of things in common. They kind of, I, I don't want to say they stole it from them, but it influenced, you know, gameplay where you talk to people and take notes, find clues. Um, it kind of has that whole like point and click type of vibe to it where there's like, you know, a murder scene and you're like, oh, look, a bloody knife is stuck in the cabinet or whatever. And you click on it and you can collect clues and take notes and stuff. And uh, even when they ported the game to the Famicom, they added some uh, new stuff like a command menu and uh, some kind of 3D dungeon maze that you had to go through, which is uh, it's pretty neat that they actually, you know, they like enhanced it for the port, mm -hmm. just like they're doing right now for the Switch. <laughs> Kojima, creator of uh, Metal Gear series, says that uh, it's uh, one of the main inspirations for him, like getting into video games in the first place. That and Super Mario Brothers. Hmm. And apparently it inspired him so much that he put the original game, the original Portopia serial murder case, into Metal Gear Solid Five, like uh, Ground Zeroes and the Phantom Pain. You can unlock it somewhere and like play the entire thing, I guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is very um, like Donkey Kong 64. Yeah, in um, <laughs> Donkey Kong Arcade. Yeah, or uh, what was the other one you could play? Jetpack? Yeah. Like the old school games, yeah. I kind of love that. I feel like more games need to do that. As long as they didn't have those medals attached to them. Yeah, got to get that banana coins in uh, Metal Gear Solid. It was also inspiration to, um, I'm going to mispronounce the name, the guy, the, the producer of Legend of Zelda. A.G. Numa. Yes, that's the one. That's the guy. It, he says it was one of the first video games he ever played, and it really like got him hooked on the you know medium. The guy who actually made the game, whose name was Yuji Horii, H-O-R-I-I, he went on to work on the Dragon Quest series, and a lot of the storytelling techniques that he used in that, um, you know, murder game popped up later on. Mm. And um, it is thought of today as being, like, the defining first game to basically be a visual novel, the first big visual novel. But let's get back to Sakamoto and the creation of the Famicom Detective Club. Apparently, he hand-wrote the scenario uh, for the entire, like, mystery in a book, like, book form, and uh, just, like, shared it with the staff, you know, saying, like, here's, here are my ideas, and here's, you know, where the twist should be, and the main information that people should be able to find within the story. As much as it was an homage to the uh, Portopia serial murder case game, um, he also had a big influence from um, this Italian filmmaker who made, like, horror movies. Dario Argentino. I guess his favorite movie was um, by Argentino, the, the, that director. It was called Deep Red, and it came out in 1975. And uh, that was uh, a big part of why The Girl Who Stands Behind, the second one, kind of has more of a, a horror aspect. He actually said that he, uh, as soon as he got assigned the project, that he wanted to create things in the same manner as Argentino did. So he was really going for that um, Italian horror <laughs> vibe. Yep. <laughs> so the actual games, uh, like I said, the first one came out in April of 1988. And then the second half of that mystery came out in June of 1988. So not too far away from each other. And uh, the mystery begins with a man uh, like finding you, the protagonist, uh, unconscious on a cliff, which... You know, it's a bad place to be. Yeah, very bad place. Yeah. And so I, you can't remember, like, who you are or what you do and how you ended up there. And uh, part of the original game is just, like, you 
getting your memory back and turns out you're a detective which is helpful because (laughs) there's yeah been like a murder um this local wealthy family uh, is you know like trying to cover it up or something and so that that's the first game and then the second game is the girl who stands behind and uh it was once again you know across two discs and that came out in may of 1989 and in june of 1989 the second game is actually uh, kind of like a prequel to the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same, like the same detective person, the same protagonist, but a, um, a, a different crime to investigate. There's something going on at the local high school, and apparently there's a, a bloody girl who haunts it at night. And so you have to go investigate mm. who done it. And I'll be honest with you, like, you know, having never played these games, I don't know if there are supernatural things or if it's supposed to be like completely like real is it i don't know if it's going to be like scooby-doo yeah where it turns out like it was just a guy in a mask or like a bunch of mirrors so i'm, I'm excited to see exactly where that goes yeah um I'm, I'm really excited to play through them when they come out for the switch yeah which is now like people are people are playing yeah. them we're obviously recording this ahead of time uh there was a third game which um I think maybe you even brought to my attention because, you know, uh, there's only two games coming out now for the Switch, but there is a third game that is called BS Detective Club Lost Memories in the Snow, which sounds very dramatic. Also, you know, Famicom Detective Club sounds great, but Mm. BS Detective Club, (laughs) like, man, we're going to get through all this BS to find uh, who yeah who did the murder <laughs> so uh, those who don't know bs does not stand for what you might think it stands for broadcast satellite because uh this was a game that only came to the super nintendo via the Satellaview, which was a peripheral that lets you like update games and get news and stuff via satellite for your uh, super famicom i should say so that uh was released in like three different chapters and once again, you know, you're trying to solve a murder case. Um, and we really haven't seen much of that one. Yeah, um, the, the, the BS, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to find footage of it because it was all broadcasted. Right. So, um, it, like, if people had it stored on their, on their local uh, cards, then, like, that was able to, then, like, eventually you would be able to retrieve that data. Some, some games, like uh, The Legend of Zelda, those BS titles, they have been preserved through video recording. Mm. And so like people, if people were recording the broadcast while the, while playing, then they would be able to record that. Cause it, it would like uh, transmit audio while you're playing mm-hmm. that would kind of narrate the story and everything like that. So it's kind of like, it's like a live radio dra- drama. <laughs> yeah. You could think of it like that. And there was, you know, like a lot of times anything you did download to your actual system would be wiped when you downloaded something new exactly so you know like the odds that you just held on to something were like very slim unless it was one of the later things i guess i know there's several kirby games that people are still looking for oh that were released yeah exclusively on the satellite yeah it's yeah I, you know nintendo has that somewhere and they just yeah are being very nintendo about it but uh outside of the three games that came out um across four disc system disc cards and uh the via satellite i believe there was one trophy in super smash brothers melee that was related to this yeah um do you know was that in both the it was that like worldwide release or only in japan 
Yes. All, all, all countries had it. And that was Ayumi, I believe was the name yep. of the girl um, who showed up. And um, according to Sakurai, there was, that girl was at one point considered to be a, a fighter for Melee. Yeah, very, very briefly considered. Um, yeah. They, uh, because of the lack of international release, Sakurai decided against it. Right. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. They were like, nah, we got, we already got Fire Emblem people in there. People don't know who that <laughs> is. We gotta, we don't want to confuse them too much. I guess like with Fire Emblem, like it was more of a series by the, that, at that point, like with, um, right. you know, Famicom Tante, like they obviously have had up to three uh, with Melee, but they probably knew that they weren't going to release any for the N64. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, well, you know, this series is continuing. This series probably isn't continuing for, for now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So outside of the re-releases that we're getting right now, the Famicom Detective Club games have been re-released like a lot of times before now. Mm. Obviously never in North America. Yeah. But um, the first one was they remade The Girl Who Stands Behind for the Super Famicom, and they released it as part of the Nintendo Power, you know, flash cartridges. Mm-hmm. which um you know very similar to what we were talking about before you basically you go into a store you download you know from like a kiosk type thing you take it home you play it but i mean you had to pay every time you downloaded something right yeah you have a cart and then it would be like one third of the cost of a new game or you know it depends on the title like each each game would have its own um price right but yeah you'd bring a blank cart which is a special cart you had to buy separately and then you could re- uh, load the data onto it using the kiosk yeah uh nintendo online magazine um you know which was run by nintendo they uh, reported in 2000 that uh, the girl who stands behind was the seventh most downloaded nintendo power game Mm. of 163 games which is you know pretty good yeah you want to guess what the what the number one game was downloaded uh super super nintendo super yeah for the super famicom super famicom okay um Maybe uh, it would be Mario. Nope, that was fourth. Super Mario Collection was fourth. Uh, you were just talking. Okay. You were just talking about this series. Oh, we were just talking about it. Um, we we're just talking about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, it's Fire Emblem. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's why they got into Smash. Uh huh. Exactly, because they were number one <laughs> on the Nintendo Power Download Service. Uh, followed closely by Derby Stallion, everyone's favorite. Derby Stallion. Derby Stallion 98. Yeah, we got to do an episode on that eventually. <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of already came up, but yeah. yeah. So mostly Nintendo games on the uh, top 10 here. A few from uh, Hudson, some Bomberman, and uh, Chunsoft. Super Famicom version of Girl Who Stands Behind is released. And then both the games, both the original two games, were released for the Game Boy Advance in 2004 uh, they had like a uh, Famicom mini series, and they both sold well enough to make it into the top 10 uh, for the week of their release, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, even more interesting is that The Girl Who Stands Behind for the Game Boy Advance was the first Nintendo game to receive a rating of Zero uh, Fifteen, 15 uh-huh. which is like, yeah, because I guess uh, the whole Japanese rating system hadn't been you know, put into place in, until like two years before. Mm-hmm. So this was the first Nintendo game that uh, actually was mature enough to get a 15 or older rating. Yeah. Um, the games were re-released again on the Virtual Console for the Wii and for the Wii U, and I think actually for the 3DS as well. Like, these games are 
everywhere in Japan. You know what I mean? They've been like ported and five, six times to different mm. uh, consoles. It's kind of funny that this is the first time that North America is getting the games. Surely it has to do with the amount of like text involved, I would think. Yeah, I think it's the the text in the market, maybe. You know, like at that time when the games were first released, they were like, oh, Americans don't really like to read. <laughs> or they don't really like to, like, you know, they don't really like RPG games. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like why Final Fantasy was so important when it finally released because it kind of broke that barrier right but we we did it i guess uh, eventually now that they're realizing that americans can read we want to read yeah so the new games i mean uh they've like updated the graphics they've updated i mean everything is it's got this cool like kind of like hand-drawn like manga look to it you know all the music's been redone although i I read that you can uh get the original 8-bit music playing in the background if you want which is uh, really cool Oh, and then uh, you were actually telling me about a, a collector's edition, a physical collector's edition that's coming out in Japan. What what's uh, what's all in that? Yeah, there's a special collector's edition that's coming out in Japan, and it includes both of the games, it includes the soundtracks for both games as well, and it includes an art book that has like um, it looks like it's mostly pictures from the remake. I'm not sure if it'll have anything from the classic. Yeah, maybe it has some like comparisons. And then um, it has like some posters of the original original posters that they came out with for the uh, Famicom Disk System games. Oh yeah, those are so yeah. cool. The covers of of all those games are like really well done, mm-hmm. like really interesting to look at because you know it's got all these different characters and like there's like some like bleeding samurai in the background and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty intense. And um, the Switch remakes are gonna have uh, voice acting at least in Japanese. Yeah, um, which the originals obviously did not and the voice of the protagonist is uh, Megumi Ogata which people I'm sure don't really know like off the top of their head but in Japan um, she is the voice of Sailor Sailor Uranus uh, Yugi from Yu-Gi-Oh mm. and uh, Shinji from Neon Genesis mm. Evangelion or Evangelion I can never pronounce that right very famous voice actress they got to uh, to play the main person so that's kind of exciting yeah, um, I, I'm really excited to hear the the cast, and um, I'm interested to see what language options it has because I know that um, they're releasing it in English and everything like that. But I wonder if you can have the Japanese voices with the English text, or I think you have to. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there is any um, English, English voiceover. Voice yeah, which is okay. I mean, it kind of it, it really you know gives it more of a mm. the right feel. I would say. So, so I take it you are getting the game, right? You're getting this collector's edition? Yes, I, I pre-ordered it. Very cool. Yeah, and uh, I think I'm just going to get the first one. I'm going to get the missing air and uh, see how it goes, kind of play through it with my wife, Bethany, because it seems like something we can kind of sit down and mm-hmm. discuss, search around for clues and stuff. And uh, if we enjoy it, we'll uh, pick up uh, the second one because I, I figure I should play them in order. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's a series that I really should check out and really should try and so um might as well jump in <laughs> and, and try plus it's it, i mean you know nintendo's a giant you know multi-million billion dollar company but it's good to show them that there is interest in these like old classics yeah. these games that aren't kirby mario zelda because we want more of this we want more of these old games and we want more of these original you know cool ips yeah i kind of um hinted about it on the other day uh on my twitter account while i was like Maybe if you support like these games, we'll eventually see like 
Takamaru or we'll see um, Murasame Castle or, um, you know, Mother 3 eventually come to the West in an official capacity. Yeah. I think this is like really Nintendo trying, trying to see like, oh, do these older games that were never released outside of Japan, will they do well now? Or is there enough interest? Do they have an audience? Yeah, kind of like what they did with uh, uh, Xenoblade. Right, yeah. Well, here's hoping. Thank you for joining us today on this memory card bonus episode. If you enjoy the show, be sure to follow us on Twitter at memcardshow. Leave us a review and a five-star rating. That would be fantastic. And if you really want to show your support, please consider checking out our Patreon at patreon.com slash memcard. We'll see you soon.